Sports Island is a complete sports podcast covering all major news and topics from across the PGA Tour, NFL, NBA, NHL, MLB, and NCAA. This podcast focuses on sports only, as political, racial, and social issues are not discussed. If you are a sports fan and are looking to stay up to date on all of the major news and topics from across the major sports, then Sports Island is truly your getaway destination. You're listening to the Sports Island Podcast with your host, Rick Mitchell. And now, the Sports Island Podcast. Hey everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. This is version 73 of the show. It is definitely a good one this week. Uh, PGA Tour will recap uh, the only team event that we see on the calendar. Very interesting format. We'll get into that and preview this weekend's tournament, which is actually a very first on tour. And uh, the NHL regular season is going to wrap up this weekend. We know who the official 16 playoff teams are, eight in each conference. We'll get into that. And in the NBA, the first round of the playoffs uh, is already underway. A couple of the series have already been completed. Uh, Several others still going on. We'll get you caught up to speed there. And then, uh, of course, the NFL draft. We've made it to the NFL draft. We had uh, round one take place. Uh, We'll recap at least the first round uh, on this week's episode, see how all that went down and who made some trades and and whatnot. But um, busy episode, so we'll get into it. Starting off in the PGA Tour, this past weekend's tournament was the Zurich Classic of New Orleans. That was at the TPC Louisiana course, which is in Avondale, Louisiana, about 15 minutes from New Orleans. It's a par 72, distance 7,425 yards. Now, uh, like I said, the course itself, it's pretty close to downtown New Orleans, so it's uh, it's built on 250 acres of wetlands, so it's pretty interesting, uh, different style of golf, very scorable course, though, even though there's, there's 100 bunkers on this course, um, but the format for this is what makes it interesting. It was uh, two-man teams that played together as a team all weekend. There was 80 two-man teams, and we had a cut after Friday's round. Thursday's opening round and Saturday's third round were played as a best ball, uh, four ball format. Each player, both players on each team uh, played their own shots on every hole and the lower score was recorded. So if player one got a birdie, player two got a par, the team score would be recorded as a birdie, the lower of the two. And then Friday's second round, Sunday's final round were played as alternate shot. So Player one teed off on the odd-numbered holes. Player two teed off on the even-numbered holes, and they just alternated shots from there. That is the more difficult of the two uh, because you're not controlling every shot. All right, so very cool format. This is the fifth year that we've seen this team format, all right, and uh, the winning team each uh, splits the FedEx Cup points, and it counts as a victory for each on the PGA Tour. Now, I did highlight uh, several quite a few teams playing in this thing. Uh, the best teams on paper heading into this thing, you had Victor Hovland and Colin Morikawa, and then Patrick Cantlay and Xander Shoffley. Now, one, those were the two best teams on paper. One of them played really well, the other not so much. We'll get into that in a second. Uh, the defending champions, Cameron Smith, Mark Leishman, they were back in action. And then a team that I highlighted as a, as a good sleeper to contend was that of Billy Horschel and Sam Burns. All right, uh, they've both been playing really well lately, and Sam Burns was an LSU Tiger, so he's used to playing on those Louisiana wetlands courses. 
Uh, but the end, uh, it was pretty, really good tournament, very competitive. Uh, the first round, we saw Xander Schauffele and Patrick Cantley card a 59, which was 13 under par. It was the lowest score to par in any round in this tournament in the five-year team format that we've seen. They continued their success on Friday, took Friday's lead into Saturday, and they ended up taking a four-shot lead into Sunday's final round, which was the largest 54-hole lead in this tournament's history. Uh, Sunday's final round, they did get a little bit of a scare. Their lead of four at the start of the round had dwindled down to one. Uh, That team, Billy Horschel and Sam Burns, kind of made their way up the leaderboard and got within a shot, but uh, Shoffley and Cantley would not be denied. They were able to finish the job and win this event with a score of 29 under par. All right, They became the first team to win this event wire-to-wire or lead this event wire-to-wire and win. Uh, that opening round of 59 certainly helped them. They led after round two. After uh, They went four under in Friday's alternate shot round, shot uh, 12 under in uh, Saturday's uh, best ball format, and then the alternate shot again on Sunday yielded an even par round of 72. But th- with the four-shot lead, that's really all they needed, especially with the, the wind conditions and whatnot. Um, second place was that team of Billy Horschel and Sam Burns at 27 under par, just two shots back. Then uh, third place was Sam Ryder and Doc Redman at 24 under par. Now, Ryder and Redman, they had heard on the broadcast they were calling them the team mustache because they both have fantastic uh, mustaches. Now, there were six teams at 23 under par, which was, of course, six shots back of Cantlay and Shoffley, that was good enough for T4. Those teams were Will Zalatoris and Davis Riley, who I had highlighted as one of the better younger teams, Brendan Steele and Keegan Bradley, Bubba Watson and Harold Varner III, Matthew Neesmith and Taylor Moore, David Lipsky and Aaron Rye, and then Brandon Grace and Garrick Higo, Team South Africa there. They, uh, they were the last team at 23 under par. Now, Grace and Higo were actually in that final tee time with Cantlay and Shoffley on Sunday, but they ended up shooting a one over par to drop down to that T4. But all in all, I mentioned the other best team on paper was that of Victor Hovland and Colin Morikawa. They finished at 16 under par, which was all the way down at T29. And your defending champions... Mark Leishman and Cameron Smith were at 17 under par, which was good for T21. Uh, the hottest player in the world was Scotty Scheffler. His teammate was Ryan Palmer. They finished at 18 under par. So still very, you know, quite a few shots back from the lead. You know, um, that just tells you the level that Cantlay and Shoffley were playing at. This was Patrick Cantlay's seventh career victory on tour and Xander Shoffley's fifth career victory on tour. So I would fully expect, with the way that they played together this past weekend, I would fully expect to see these two paired up together in the President's Cup for all of the events that they will be in in the fall. Uh, But that brings us to this weekend's tournament, which is the Mexico Open at Vedanta, which is at the Vedanta Vierta Golf Club. That's in Villa Hidalgo, Mexico. We're talking about the Puerto Vierta side of Mexico on the West Coast. It's a par 71. Distance, 7,456 yards. Now, this is the very first year of the Mexico Open. They've not had this event on tour before. Since the course's original design, uh, they've added over 250 yards to it with the intent of hosting a PGA Tour event. Uh, They also have 106 bunkers spread throughout the course, those 18 holes. That's quite a few bunkers on every hole. 
fairways are a little larger than normal, um, but the greens are protected by those front side bunkers. So we should see a lot of sand shots coming your way this week. Uh, the course itself, they have five par threes, which uh, four of them are played over water, so that should make it interesting. And then there's four par fives. Uh, the layout like that is very similar to the uh, course uh, Innisbrook's Copperhead course that we saw uh, several weeks ago, about a month and a half ago. Weather, of course, it's in Mexico, right? It's going to be warm. It's going to be dry. It is on the ocean, so certainly you'll have to deal with some breeze coming in. Uh, but it should be some good weather. Uh, the field itself, not great. Uh, John Rahm is your best player in the field. He's world number three. Got Gary Woodland, Patrick Reed, Tony Finau, Daniel Berger, Abraham Answer. Some names that you might recognize. Uh, other names you may recognize, uh, Carlos Ortiz, Kevin Na, Cameron Tringale, and Sahith Thigala. So uh, average field. I wouldn't say it's good. I wouldn't say it's bad. You got some big names in there. Uh, should be an exciting tournament, if for no other reason than the fact that this is a brand new event on tour and that we've not seen this this course, we've not seen this, um, this layout. So um, I definitely am going to at least tune in and, and try and catch as much of that just, uh, just because of the new factor. So we'll get you caught up on how all of that went down next week. But we'll move on to the National Football League and uh, do a recap of the first round of the NFL draft. We're underway on that. And uh, the NFL draft this year is in Las Vegas. Uh, what an excellent scene that was uh, during round one when they showed the coverage. Uh, 100,000 people there right off the strip. Uh, just very impressive. And, of course, we know the NFL draft now is a three-day event. First round is Thursday night. Uh, second and third rounds are Friday night. And then the fourth through the seventh rounds are all day pretty much on Saturday. So uh, with round one being complete, we'll take a look at how all that went down. There were bunch of storylines the two main ones uh basically there were nine trades in the first round of the nfl draft which is the most in the first round since the draft became a three-day event so we saw a lot of moving parts there a um, couple of high profile higher profile wide receivers were traded we'll get into that um, but teams were also making their picks in record time i mean it was there were still five or six minutes left on the clock when a lot of these teams were, were turning their picks in, which is something we don't usually see. A lot of teams tend to max out their time, uh, but this this first round this year was not the case. Um, so it was, it was nice to see, especially from a, a spectating standpoint. You don't want to wait a whole lot to see who, who gets taken. So, uh, But we'll start off. Jacksonville Jaguars, they had the first pick in the draft. It was the second year in a row that they've had the first pick. Of course, last year they took Trevor Lawrence. Jacksonville is actually the sixth team in NFL draft history to have uh, first overall pick two years in a row. They had a whole option of players to choose from, very good defensive players, uh, some elite offensive tackles. They ended up going with uh, Georgia defensive end Trayvon Walker with the number one overall pick. Now, back in December, Trayvon Walker was more of a late first, early second round grade, uh, but he just was a beast at the combine. He's 6'5", 272, and he ran a 4'5", at the at the NFL Combine. So um, he's versatile. He can play inside tackle. He can play on the edge. Uh, you can even drop him back in coverage. And uh, his, you know, at 272 pounds, he still is very quick, uh, acting like a linebacker. So um, unique player for sure. Didn't have quite the production you'd want to see from a number one overall uh, defensive end, 
but um, certainly the athletic ability and the versatility make him uh, obviously worthy of that that top pick. But the second overall pick was the Detroit Lions. They took a homegrown product, a local kid there from Michigan, the University of Michigan, <coughs> uh, Aiden Hutchinson. He was widely projected to be the first overall pick uh, in the draft for many months. He had 14 sacks last year, was the Heisman Trophy runner-up. And um, so Jaguars passed on him, which I think the Lions turned their pick in immediately after uh, seeing the Jaguars take Walker. The, th- the first surprise of the draft came with the third overall pick. That was the Houston Texans. They took Derek Stingley Jr., cornerback from LSU. Now, on a talent level, Stingley certainly is a top 10 player in this draft. The problem has been his health the last two years because his 2019 years, freshman year at LSU when they won the national title, he was certainly going to be a top five pick if if he was able to come out. But uh, past two years, he's dealt with some injuries. Talent-wise, when he's healthy, uh, I, I think that that's probably a good pick, but you know, time will tell on health. But the fourth pick was the New York Jets. Uh, they took corner Ahmad Gardner, Sauce Gardner out of Cincinnati. Never gave up a touchdown in a 1,000 career snaps at Cincinnati and uh, averaged uh, 13 yards per catch, which, again, not a whole lot of people caught. I think he only had given up uh, six or seven completions this year against him. So just an elite lockdown corner, uh, good for that Jets defense. Fifth overall pick, the New York Giants. They took Kayvon Thibodeau, defensive end from Oregon. Uh, just, you know, elite size, physical ability. And uh, I, I talked about a lot of these guys, obviously, on last week's episode in the preview, so I don't want to uh, hammer it home too hard. But the sixth overall pick, Carolina Panthers took uh, Icky Iquanu, offensive tackle from North Carolina State. Just uh, one of the better tackles there, athletic freak. Uh, seventh overall pick, the New York Giants. They had the fifth pick, they took K- uh, T- Kayvon Thibodeau. Seventh pick here, they took Alabama offensive tackle Evan Neal, just a mammoth, 6'7", 330 pounds. Great draft for the Giants thus far. The eighth overall pick was the Atlanta Falcons. They took Drake London, wide receiver from USC. Dude, 6'5", got a basketball background, uh, goes up and high points the ball. Probably the best contested ball catcher in the class. Ninth overall, Seattle Seahawks. They took uh, Mississippi State offensive tackle Charles Cross. Good solid protection there for that rebuild that they got going on. Um, Drew Locke is their starting quarterback at the moment. We'll see if that changes uh, with in the second round. Still some quarterbacks available there. Uh, the 10th overall pick was the New York Jets. They had taken Sauce Gardner at four. They uh, went with Garrett Wilson, wide receiver from Ohio State there with the 10th pick. Probably the best overall wide receiver in terms of um, route running, body control, catching ability, um, speed. Wilson was probably the best wide receiver. So they got the best corner and the best wide receiver, the Jets did, both in the top 10. Number 11 is where we saw our first trade. The New Orleans Saints traded up with Washington to draft Chris Olave, Ohio State wide receiver. So back-to-back Ohio State wide receivers get taken. Olave ran a 4-2-9 at the combine. Best pure route runner in the class. Um, Certainly going to be a favorite target for Jameis Winston there. And then the 12th pick, we saw another trade. The Detroit Lions traded all the way up from 32 with Minnesota to acquire Jamison Williams, the wide receiver from Alabama. So 
just you know tore his ACL back in January, but uh, elite speed, fastest wide receiver in the class, complete game changer. That made three wide receivers in a row. And then if that wasn't uh, good enough, we had another trade, three trades in a row. The 13th pick, Philadelphia Eagles traded up, uh, I believe with the intent to draft Jameson Williams, but the Lions took him. So um, they drafted Philadelphia. Uh, Philadelphia ended up drafting Georgia defensive tackle Jordan Davis with the 13th pick. Philadelphia was not done there. More on that in a minute. Uh, 14th pick. This might be the very best pick in the first round. It's uh, safety Kyle Hamilton from Notre Dame. He went to the Baltimore Ravens. And if that's not the most Baltimore Ravens pick, I have no idea what is. Because the Ravens sit there at 14, don't move up, and they get probably the one of the two or three very best players in this entire draft. All right, so... Uh, Hamilton goes to the Ravens. 15th pick belonged to Houston because they had traded back. Uh, they selected offensive guard Kenyon Green from Texas A&M. A local kid there, grew up in Houston, gets drafted by the Texans, was the best guard in the draft. Uh, 16th pick, the Washington Commanders. They had traded down out of that uh, 11 spot, and uh, they drafted uh, Penn State wide receiver Jahan Dotson with the 16th pick. Kind of a a little bit of a reach considering you had uh, Traylon Burks uh, still there. But uh, Dotson's a burner. And uh, out of 100 and he had 90, 91 catches on 137 targets. And out of those, he only had two drop balls this past year. So the dude's going to catch it if you throw it at him. He also has 4-3 speed, can return punts. So a uh, good pick there for Washington. 17th pick, the Los Angeles Chargers. They continue that offensive line rebuild. They drafted Zion Johnson, guard from Boston College, to go with their uh, Pro Bowl rookie left tackle, Rashawn Slater. Uh, 18th pick. Did belong to the Philadelphia Eagles, but they traded out with the Tennessee Titans. All right, so the Titans uh, traded to move up there to get their man, but in doing so, they actually traded A.J. Brown to the Eagles, which I'll discuss here in a minute. Massive trade. So in order to replace A.J. Brown, the Titans drafted Arkansas wide receiver Traylon Burks with that 18th pick. A 19th pick, the New Orleans Saints drafted Trevor Penning, the offensive tackle from Northern Iowa. Big, strong, uh, imposing tackle. Uh, good for their uh, offensive line rebuild after they lost to Ron Armstead. At number 20 overall, Pittsburgh Steelers, they took Kenny Pickett, the quarterback from the University of Pittsburgh, right down the road. Another homegrown product, another theme that we've seen. Few, few uh, homegrown products ended up making their way to their home professional teams. Pickett was the first quarterback taken, at, you know, in the was the only quarterback taken in the first round, but didn't happen until pick twenty, which is the longest amount of picks into a draft for a quarterback to be picked since nineteen ninety seven. So, uh, pretty interesting note there. Twenty first pick, the Kansas City Chiefs traded back up. Uh, a couple picks to draft cornerback Trent McDuffie out of University of Washington. Uh, good good all-around player, uh, good closing speed there for McDuffie. So uh, the, th the third-best cornerback goes there to the Chiefs. Green Bay Packers sat at number 22, thinking, all right, well, they need offensive uh, help there after they lost pretty much all of their wide receivers. 
So what do they do? They go and draft Quay Walker, the linebacker from Georgia. Uh, not, I mean, Quay Walker's a good player. I wouldn't say that was their most pressing need, but uh, nonetheless, the, the Packers knew what they, what they wanted, and that was Quay Walker. 23rd pick, the Buffalo Bills traded up to get this pick. They drafted cornerback Kair Elam out of Florida. Um, you know, he was right there on the borderline of being one of the top five corners in the draft, uh, but he played in the SEC against very elite wide receivers and did pretty well against them. So I can understand why Buffalo would trade up to get him. At number 24, my Dallas Cowboys. I was so stoked for this pick because uh, there were several good uh, defensive players. Jermaine Johnson, the defensive end, was sitting there. Nicobe Dean, Devin Lloyd, the elite linebackers in this class, all sitting there ready for the Cowboys to take. And they ended up taking Tyler Smith, offensive tackle from Tulsa. I was horribly livid when I when I saw this. Uh, but I did a little more digging, and I've, I've kind of evened out a little bit on my opinion. Uh, Tyler Smith, 6'5", 324 pounds, just big, physical, mean, plays with a nasty demeanor, um, still fairly raw, needs to be coached up quite a bit. Uh, but he had the same grade, uh, draft grade on ESPN as Zion Johnson from Boston College. And he was just um, one point lower than Kenyon Green that Houston drafted. So he's he's up there w- talent-wise with those guys. He's just very raw, very penalty-prone, too. He had 16 penalties in college last year, which would be more than one per game in college. So he's going to have to fix that. I do like the, the prospect of him being an elite left tackle, um, I think he's going to probably slot in either at guard or right tackle to start his career. But, yeah, I was a little disappointed. I, I've come back around. I, I feel uh, fairly decent about Tyler Smith at this point. I certainly would have rather had uh, any of those three defensive players I just mentioned. 25th overall pick, uh, Baltimore Ravens selected Tyler Lindebaum, center from Iowa. Uh, shorter arms, not as tall as the the prototypical center you would want but the production's there the strength is there and that is another just straight up Baltimore Ravens type pick so Ravens got two good ones there in the first round 26th pick the New York Jets traded back into the first round to select Jermaine Johnson the second defensive end from Florida State which is who I was hoping the Cowboys would take but that gives the Jets just an amazing trio Sauce Gardner Garrett Wilson and Jermaine Johnson Uh, they certainly had the best first round of anybody uh, in the league. Number 27, Jacksonville Jaguars, they traded back up to select linebacker Devin Lloyd from Utah. I just mentioned him. He was the other one I was hoping the Cowboys would take. Uh, So those guys go back to back 26 and 27 after Dallas passes on them. Then number 28, uh, Green Bay Packers back on the clock. Still need that offensive help. They had already taken one defensive Georgia or Georgia defensive player. So why not take another? They ended up taking Georgia defensive tackle Devontae Wyatt. Again, very good athletically. All right, all these Georgia defenders are very skilled, very elite. Um, so Green Bay adds a defensive tackle and a linebacker, both from the University of Georgia. I think it was the first time that uh, two defensive players from the same team got drafted by the same team in the NFL draft. 
And number 29 was the biggest reach, the New England Patriots. They had traded back to get 229, and they took offensive guard Cole Strange from the University of Tennessee, Chattanooga. Uh, he had a third-round grade, all right? And um, a lot of people, internet kind of blew up whenever they took him. But, I mean, obviously, it's Bill Belichick um, likes this kid. He's very, you know, he's... I think he would have been there in the second round. He's 6'5", 307 pounds, um, had a good senior bowl. But again, you know, you're, you're talking about a a guy with a third-round grade that would have been there certainly in the second round. Number 30, the Kansas City Chiefs, they drafted George Karlaftis, defensive end from Purdue. So that goes along with their pick of Trent McDuffie. So they're really trying to help rebuild that defense and that competitive AFC Number 31 might be the best value pick. That was safety Daxton Hill from Michigan. Uh, he went to the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, he's very versatile corner. He can play slot corner, nickel corner. He technically came out as a safety, so uh, he's just a secondary player. He's very good speed, ran a 4-3, uh, can get to the quarterback on blitzes if he needs to. A terrific pick there for Cincinnati, who now pairs Daxton Hill with Jesse Bates. So that'll be a... Very good safety duo. And then the final pick of the first round was the Minnesota Vikings. They had traded back from 12 down to 32. Detroit made that trade with them. They took uh, Georgia safety Lewis Seen with their pick. He's uh, about 6'1", 6'2", 199 pounds, about 6'2", 200 pounds. Uh, He's a local kid here from the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Lewis Seen went to Cedar Hill High School here in the Metroplex, and he became the fifth Georgia defensive player to be drafted in that first round, which is the most first-rounders from one school in NFL draft history. And it probably should have been six with uh, N'Kobe Dean still on the board. But um, I mentioned all those wide receivers. There were six of them selected in the top 20, which is the first time that that's happened in the common draft era. Um, Just, you know, kind of a weird first round. A lot of trades, um, still some surprising names, only one quarterback taken, um, some of the better players, you know, that are still available after the first round that we'll see go very early. You got Nicobe Dean from Georgia, Malik Willis, quarterback from Liberty, Andrew Booth, Jr., corner from Clemson, best running back, Brees Hall from Iowa State, and then a couple of pass rushers, Arnold Ebiquete from Penn State, and David Ajabo from Michigan. Then you got Kyler Gordon, the corner from Washington, Boye Mafe, linebacker from Minnesota. A lot of good talent. All right, still left on the board. I'm really, really hoping that uh, the Dallas Cowboys make a move back up to get N'Kobe Dean, um, you know, something like that. Or I, I don't know. I just I'm still kind of middle of the road on on the Tyler Smith selection. But um, we won't do a recap of the rest of the draft. We'll might go over some draft grades or something next week. But I at least wanted to get the recap of the first round covered on this week's episode. But we'll move on to the National Hockey League, do a standings update here. We um, Last week we did not know all of the playoff teams in the Western Conference. This week we do. So we officially have all 16 playoff teams locked and loaded. We just don't know the order on a couple. Uh, as I record this, uh, the teams have one game left. Uh, teams have played 81 games. Some teams have officially finished their season with all 82 games being played. Uh, We'll start off in the Eastern Conference, uh, the Metropolitan Division, the Carolina Hurricanes. They are your Metropolitan Division champions with 116 points. They ended the year on a six-game winning streak. The New York Rangers 
finished second in the Metro with 108 points. They're locked into that second spot. And the Pittsburgh Penguins, they have 101 points. They're third in the Metro. Uh, the Washington Capitals are the second wildcard team currently with 100 points. Um, but they can, they're only one point behind Pittsburgh, and they both have one game left. So uh, it's possible that Washington jumps Pittsburgh for that third spot. But uh, as it sits right now, uh, if Pittsburgh wins, they will be third in the Metro, and they would play the New York Rangers in the first round. In the Atlantic Division, the Florida Panthers finished, uh, well, they have one game left. They have 122 points, and they have officially clinched the President's Trophy for the first time in franchise history. Of course, the President's Trophy is the uh, team with the best record in the regular season. That belongs to them, so they are the top seed in the East. Number two in the Atlantic, the Toronto Maple Leafs with 113 points. Uh, they will be the number two seed there in the Atlantic. The number three seed is still up for grabs. The Tampa Bay Lightning currently sit in third with 108 points. Boston Bruins, they have 107 points. Boston's currently the first wild card team, but they're one point back of Tampa. So uh, Boston, uh, depending on what they do in this last game, uh, Boston could potentially pass Tampa Bay. So it would be very strange to see Tampa Bay as a wild card team. But uh, you'll notice out of all those eight playoff teams, all right, um, for the Eastern Conference, all of them have over 100 points, uh, 100 points or more, which is the first time in NHL history that all eight playoff teams in the same conference have at least 100 points. So Eastern Conference is very, very competitive. I expect the first round to be just a complete bloodbath. We'll have a preview on the first round on next week's episode, even though uh, a couple of the series may have uh, may have already started uh, a game or two in. But we'll take a look at the actual matchups. Um, Florida will play wild card two, which at the moment is Washington. And then Carolina would play wild card one, which is Boston at this particular moment. Right. So uh, but Toronto and Tampa Bay, that would be a phenomenal first round series if that the standings stay the way that they are. So that's your Eastern Conference outlook. We knew those eight teams last week. This week, all eight teams in the West are clinched. In the Central Division, the uh, Colorado Avalanche have won the Western Conference with 119 points, currently one game left. Uh, second in the Central, the Minnesota Wild. They have 111 points. They're going to finish as the second seed in the Central, and they will be playing the third seed in the Central, St. Louis Blues, with 109 points. Those two teams will play each other in the first round. That is That matchup is guaranteed. And then over in the Pacific Division, the Calgary Flames have won the Pacific Division with 111 points. they got a game left. Edmonton Oilers, they also have a game left. They have 102 points. They're currently second in the Pacific. They have clinched the second spot in the Pacific. And then uh, the Los Angeles Kings are the third seed in the Pacific. So that order is is uh, official. Calgary, Edmonton, LA in the Pacific. Los Angeles finished the year with 99 points. The two wild card teams are officially locked. That's Nashville and Dallas. The order is still up for grabs. Nashville currently is wild card one with 97 points. Dallas is wild card two with 96 points. Both of those teams have one game remaining, so it is possible that we see a flip-flop there, but um, we do know that Minnesota will play St. Louis in the first round, and Edmonton will play Los Angeles in the first round. 
that Minnesota St. Louis series is that's going to go seven games. That series is going to be probably the best one of them all. Uh, Colorado is going to play wild card two, which would be at the moment the Dallas Stars, and Calgary would play the wild card one, which is Nashville at the moment. But that could flip flop. All right, so. We'll see how that turns out. Dallas limped into the playoffs uh, with just running on fumes, coasting into the gas station. That's how Dallas entered the playoffs. They got one game left. Their goal differential's minus 10. Dallas is the only team in the league, only playoff team in the league with a negative goal differential. The next closest is the Los Angeles Kings, but they finished at plus three. So still a positive goal diff, but the Stars somehow made the playoffs with a minus 10 goal differential. So unless they beat the Anaheim Ducks in their last game by 11 goals, uh, they're going to finish with a negative goal differential, which is just absolutely putrid. Um, You know, I'm I'm looking, I I don't see, I I would much rather the Stars play Calgary um, in the first round. I certainly don't want any part of Colorado, um, but not feeling great about the uh, prospect of the Stars really kind of moving on deep into the playoffs, but we'll have to see. Now, I will go over some notes real quick, just kind of some random news from the NHL over this last week. Um, we've, we have four 50-goal scorers this year, uh, or four, four guys with at least 50 goals. That's Austin Matthews, Leon Dreisaitl, Chris Kreider, and Alex Ovechkin. It's the first time since the 2005-2006 season that we've had at least four players with more than 50 goals. All right, so it's been a while since we've seen that. And in fact, Austin Matthews, he has 60 goals. He scored his 60th the other night, becoming the 21st player in NHL history to have a 60-goal season. The first since Steven Stamkos in the 2011-2012 season. He, uh, Matthews and Stamkos are two of the three active players to ever score 60 in a season, the other being Alex Ovechkin, of course. And then uh, Tampa Bay Lightning, speaking of uh, Steven Stamkos, uh, the Lightning, they've been scoring goals in bunches lately. They had uh, a three-game span last week where they scored 22 goals in that three games, which is unbelievable. They had two games with eight goals apiece, both against their division rivals. They beat the Maple Leafs 8-1, to the Florida Panthers 8-4, to two very impressive victories there. And uh, Steven Stamkos uh, passed 100 points on the season, which is the first time he's ever done that, which I was super surprised when I saw. I couldn't believe that. With with how many years he's been in the league and how prolific he's been at scoring, including a 60-goal season back in 2011, I can't believe that he's never eclipsed 100 points in a year, but such is the case. He did also uh, record his 954th career point which makes him the Tampa Bay Lightning franchise all-time leader in points, passing Martin St. Louis in that. Uh, over to Nashville real quick. They've had two 40-goal scorers this past week. Matt Duchesne and Philip Forsberg both scored their 40th goal, becoming the first two 40-goal scorers in Nashville franchise history. And then defenseman Roman Yossi, he has reached the 90-point mark, becoming the first defenseman to reach 90 points in a season since Raymond Bork in 1993-1994. So very impressive year. You can pretty much pencil him in for the Norris Trophy. Dallas Stars forward Jason Robertson scored his 40th goal of the season this past week, becoming just the fourth ever Dallas Stars player to score 40 
goals in a season. He's having a historic season. Him and Rope Hintz form probably one of the best young duos in the league. And then Edmonton goalie Mike Smith, he's won his last nine starts, which is the longest winning streak by a goalie this year in the NHL. So uh, Edmonton can ride him into the playoffs. But um, it's going to be very, very good playoffs this year, especially in the Eastern Conference. There's just going to be uh, carnage there with all those teams. In the West, we got a, a several good first-round series there in the West. So like I said, next week we'll we'll actually have the official matchups um, you know, it just depends on who finishes, you know, Nashville and Dallas, uh, the, the wild card, that's going to be, you know, wild card one plays Calgary, wild card two plays Colorado. So we'll have to see who ends up where, but we'll, uh, get all that covered on next week's episode. But we'll move on to major league baseball. We'll just do a quick standings update here in the MLB. Uh, it's been a little over a week since we've done one. So um, they have changed a little bit. Uh, I did come across this stat though that was valid as of this past weekend. So about a, this stat's about a week old, but I'd be willing to bet that it's pretty close to being accurate. Uh, as of last week, there were 56 batters in the league that were hitting below 200. Their batting average was below 200. The league batting average was 231, which was the lowest league batting average in the history of baseball. Now, obviously, that was two and a half weeks into the season. So it's probably changed. It's probably that the number might, might be a little less, you know, the batting average might be a little higher. Uh, the number of players under 200, maybe a little fewer, but um, plenty of time to figure it out. But there's, you know, pitching has been certainly dominant thus far in major league baseball. Um, but we'll, we'll just dive into these standings updates with some, some news updates along the way. The National League, we'll start off in the NL East. New York Mets are 14-6. and six. They currently have the most wins in the MLB. They're three games up on the Miami Marlins, who uh, look good. Pablo Lopez, that he, he leads Major League Baseball, and his ERA is less than one. Uh, just been kind of a revelation this year. Philadelphia Phillies are 10-10. and 10. Atlanta Braves are 9-11. and 11. They're five games back of the Mets right now. However... They just got Ronald Acuna Jr. back into their lineup. Uh, first game of the season. Uh, should be uh, ready to go after tearing his ACL last year. Then the Washington Nationals are 6-15. and 15. They're off to a rough start. They've lost eight in a row uh, as of this recording. Over in the National League Central, the Milwaukee Brewers are up top there at 13-7. and seven. St. Louis Cardinals are 11-7, and seven, just a game back. Now with the Cardinals, they had a bench-clearing incident against the New York Mets the other day after Nolan Arenado took a fastball high and inside. Uh, the ball did not hit Arenado, but he reacted, kind of took offense to it, kind of walked out to the mound, causes the benches to clear, obviously. Uh, Nolan Arenado was actually given a two-game suspension for that, so there was no punches thrown, but um, he still got suspended for that. The Chicago Cubs are 8-11. and 11. They're uh, three and a half games back of the Cardinals, four and a half back of the Brewers. The Cubs, um, they last weekend, they played the Pittsburgh Pirates and won 21 to nothing. The Cubs had 21 runs on 23 hits with no errors in comparison to Pittsburgh's zero runs on three hits with two errors. Just to, that was, it was like a football. I couldn't believe it when I saw the box score on that, but... The Cubs uh, have the same record as the Pittsburgh Pirates, who are 8-11 as well. 
Cincinnati Reds are 3-16. and 16. They are definitely uh, the worst team in baseball record-wise and uh, as well as the eye test. Uh, over in the NL West, very, very competitive division. Probably uh, the most competitive at the moment. San Francisco Giants are 13-6. and six. They are a half game up on the L.A. Dodgers, who are 12-6. and six. San Diego Padres are 13-7, and seven, just a half game back of the Giants. Colorado Rockies, 10-9. and nine. They've lost four in a row, hit a little skid, uh, had some difficulty this past week, uh, but still uh, a surprising team so far nonetheless. And the Arizona Diamondbacks are 8-12, and 12, so they're uh, comfortably there in last place there in the NL West. Over in the American League, the AL East. New York Yankees are 13-6. and six. All right, They've won six in a row, eight out of their last ten. And uh, they had a little dust-up with the Cleveland Guardians over this, this last weekend. Outfielder Miles Straw climbed up onto the out, outfield wall and was kind of yelling at some Yankees fans who were talking to him. And then the fans proceeded to throw trash and bottles and stuff at him. It was pretty ugly. Um, there's a recording surfacing on the Internet of uh, – kind of the first-hand interaction there. Uh, but, you know, the Yankees are still up top there. Garrett Cole finally had a good outing. Uh, their ace hadn't played well at all. Finally pitched a gem the other day. Uh, Toronto Blue Jays, they're 13-7. and seven. Half a game back from New York. I still think they're the best team in the AL East, and uh, I like for them to compete for the American League Championship this year. Tampa Bay Rays are 11-8, and eight, two games back of the Yankees. Uh, shortstop Wander Franco became the youngest player in Tampa Bay Rays history to have a multi-home run game. Uh, the dude is just phenomenal. I think he's only like 20 or 21 years old. Uh, hit, hitting over 300. He's got some pop, and um, the Rays are certainly going to be making some noise this year. Boston Red Sox, 8-12. and 12. They are five and a half games back of the Yankees already. Uh, and we are just three weeks into the season, so that is not good news for Boston. Then the Baltimore Orioles, they're 6-13. and 13. Um, They've lost four in a row. You know, only seven games back at the moment. I uh, certainly don't think they're going to make a run, but, uh, you know, I would expect Baltimore to be where Cincinnati is, uh, but that just hasn't been the case. Baltimore's been able to score some runs. Over in the American League Central, the Minnesota Twins are up top at 11-8. and eight. They have a three-game lead over the Kansas City Royals, who are 7-10. Chicago White Sox, gone on a little bit of a, a cold one here. They're 7-11. They're three and a half games back in Minnesota. They've only won once in their last 10 games. So uh, White Sox have been playing horrible baseball. Uh, they lost outfielder Eloy Jimenez to a torn hamstring. Should have him back in six to eight weeks, but... Uh, that's a big, important bat that's missing out of the White Sox lineup. Cleveland Guardians are 7-12. and 12, And then the uh, Detroit Tigers are 6-12. and 12. They're four and a half games back of Minnesota. They've lost five in a row. Guardians have lost seven in a row. But uh, Jose Ramirez just continues to be an absolutely phenomenal all-world player there for the Guardians. But with the Detroit Tigers, first baseman Miguel Cabrera. Last weekend, he got his 3,000th career hit. It actually should have happened a day sooner, but uh, the New York Yankees decided to intentionally walk him in their last at-bat against him. So uh, 
He had to wait till the next day, but Miguel Cabrera became the 33rd player in Major League Baseball history to reach 3,000 hits. He's only the seventh player in MLB history to have 3,000 hits and 500 home runs. And he's one of only three players all time to have 3,000 hits, 500 home runs, and a batting average north of 300. Hank Aaron and Willie Mays are the only other two players in baseball history to do that. So that is elite of the elite in terms of company. And Miguel Cabrera is also only the second active player with 3,000 career hits behind Albert Pujols. Now, the next closest active player to reach 3,000 career hits is Robinson Cano, who's still over 350 hits away. And uh, after that is Yadier Molina, who's sitting at 2,100 hits. So it's going to be a long time before we see another 3,000-hit milestone reach because I don't know how much longer Robinson Cano has left in the tank, but he's still 350 hits away, which is at least another uh, you know few seasons. So um, moving over to the American League West, the Los Angeles Angels are up top. They're at 13-7. and seven. Uh, they've been really surprising so far this year just with the way that they've played. We knew they had Shohei Otani. Uh, Mike Trout is looking very healthy, and he keeps mashing the ball. So they're up there at 13-7. and seven. They got a game-and-a-half lead on the Seattle Mariners, who are 11-8. and eight. Now, the Mariners, uh, they're my other favorite team in the American League this year, uh, along with Toronto. I can see Seattle and Toronto playing for the ALCS. Uh, Seattle has won seven out of their last ten. I certainly think they're they're going to be comfortably in the playoffs when it's all said and done. The Houston Astros are ten and nine. All right, they've uh, they've won three in a row here. Um, most people projected them to win the AL West, uh, but I did not. Oakland Athletics, the A's are ten and nine, same record as the uh, Astros, which puts them two and a half games back from the Angels. And then last in the American League West is my Texas Rangers at 6-13. and 13. They've lost three in a row. All of those were to Houston. Um, Texas did go on a, a little bit of a winning streak. I think they had won uh, three games in a row or four games in a row, five out of six, I think they did uh, last uh, over this past week before losing three in a row to Houston. So they're showing a little bit of life. Um, lineup's starting to get, you know, score some runs. They have 83 runs scored, which – is third in the AL West, so they're not. Uh, the problem is giving up runs. Uh, they got a, a minus nine run differential. So, and they're only two and eight in home games, which has got to change. Rangers are only two and eight uh, at Globe Life Field. So, if they can get that turned around, uh, they might might move up uh, a little bit in the AL West. But very young into the season, um, still plenty of news and updates coming from. Uh, for Major League Baseball, so we'll keep you posted as we move along. But we'll move over to the National Basketball Association, do a playoff update here in the NBA. All but one of the first-round series have concluded as of this recording. Um, the final first-round series might conclude tonight. Uh, Memphis and Minnesota is the series that has not concluded, but every other series has. So we'll start off in the Eastern Conference. The Miami Heat took care of business against the Atlanta Hawks. Of course, Miami was the top overall seed. Atlanta was the eighth seed. Miami won the series four games to one, thanks in large part to Jimmy Butler. Butler averaged over 30 points a game in those five games. Just unreal performance for Butler. And on the Atlanta side of things, they did win game three to make it a 2-1 series. They erased a 16-point deficit in that fourth quarter 
Trey Young hit a game-winning shot with four seconds left. Now, Trey Young was the story of this series, or lack thereof, basically. He averaged 28.4 points a game in the regular season, and in these five games in the playoffs, averaged only 15.4. So 13 points fewer per game for Trey Young, which is the second largest decrease in points per game between regular and postseason in the last 25 NBA seasons. So you need your big dogs to show up in the playoffs. Trey Young did not do that for the Hawks, which is one of the reasons why they got ousted in five games. Number two seed in the East was Boston Celtics. They played the number seven Brooklyn Nets. Uh, I, I predicted Brooklyn would win the series because I, I didn't figure Brooklyn was a true seven seed based on their roster, but they didn't have Ben Simmons at all. It was rumored he would come back in game three or four. That didn't happen. He's still continuing this phantom back injury that he's got. Uh, did not play a single game all year for Philly or Brooklyn. Uh, basically was the most expensive cheerleader in the building. And uh, Boston ended up sweeping Brooklyn four games to none. All right, Kevin Durant averaged over 26 points a game in that series. Jason Tatum for the Celtics averaged over 29.5 points per game for them quickly becoming a top six, five or six player in the NBA. And uh, with that loss by Brooklyn in the first round, this is the first NBA playoffs in the last 17 years that does not feature Kevin Durant or LeBron James in the second round of the playoffs. So a uh, very interesting fact there. The number three seed in the East was the Milwaukee Bucks. They played the number six Chicago Bulls. The Bucks won this one pretty easily five games, uh, four games to one was that series. Giannis Antetokounmpo, he averaged 28.6 points and 13.4 rebounds per game. Just uh, all-world player there, Antetokounmpo. And uh, the Bucks are looking really good, uh, fresh off of their NBA championship last season. And then the final series in the East, the number four Philadelphia 76ers played the number five Toronto Raptors. Now, Philadelphia had gotten up three games to none. All right, No team in NBA playoff history has ever come back from a 3-0 deficit, but Toronto did win two games in a row All right, uh, to make it a 3-2 series before Philly finally closed it in Game 6. But before that Game 6 victory, uh, the 76ers head coach, Doc Rivers, he had lost seven of his last eight opportunities to close out a series. All right, He has 31 career such losses as a head coach in closeout games, which is already the most in NBA history. So Doc Rivers has a little trouble uh, sealing the deal there, but um, you can make that seven out of his last not or eight out of his last um, nine opportunities because he, I mean, they did win. So a seven out of the last nine, he's failed to close because he did win. So uh, Philadelphia does move on there, but uh, got a little scare from Toronto, but um, over in the West, we'll, we'll talk about the second round matchups in a minute. Over in the Western Conference, the top-seeded Phoenix Suns, they took care of the New Orleans Pelicans four games to two. All right, now the Pelicans did come back and tie that series at two games apiece, thanks in large part to Brandon Ingram. His first career playoffs, he averaged 27 points, six rebounds a game. On the Phoenix side, last week I had mentioned that Devin Booker got had a grade one hamstring strain that was going to keep him out two to three weeks. Well, that didn't happen because Devin Booker showed up for game six uh, and played. He was a starter. So Booker's back in action for the Suns, which is very problematic for the West uh, as a whole. 
the Suns are the best team in the West, have been all year. Uh, but with Booker's early return back, I don't know how you go from a two- to three-week time frame to basically four days, five days. But such is the case there for Devin Booker. So the Suns move on. Number two, Memphis against number seven, Minnesota. The Grizzlies currently have a 3-2 to two series lead over the Timberwolves. So if Memphis wins their game tonight, they will move on in that series. But if Minnesota wins at home tonight, then they will uh, play a game seven, all right, which would be on uh, Sunday. So that's the only series that's still outstanding. The number three seed Golden State Warriors, they handled their business against the number six Denver Nuggets, winning the series four games to one. Uh, Steph Curry doing Steph Curry things, uh, averaging 28 points a game. Jordan Poole's been a revelation as well for the, the Warriors, uh, and that's not to mention they still have Draymond Green and Klay Thompson going. On the Denver side, Nikola Jokic, my goodness, 31 points a game, 13 rebounds a game. That guy was the NBA MVP last year. Um, I think Joel Embiid might have a case for that this year, but what do you do with Jokic? You know, I mean, you gotta you got to put a team around him. Golden State took care of business there to move on. And then the best series, um, well, let me back up to Golden State real quick. Clay Thompson, I mentioned him just a second ago. He moved up to third all-time in NBA playoff history for three-pointers made. He trails LeBron James, who's second, and then, of course, Steph Curry, who's first. So no surprise there. But, um, you know, Clay Thompson's getting in on the act as well. And then the final series in the Western Conference might very well have been the best series couple of games were some of the better games it was number four Dallas Mavericks against the number five Utah Jazz okay the the Mavericks were without you know Luka Doncic for the first three games I, I mentioned I, I if if Luka didn't play I like the Jazz to win but Luka came back in game four he had a 30 point double double in game four the Mavs lost that game but he had a 33 point double double in game five and the Mavs won that game by uh, about a hundred uh, the Mavs were up by close to 40 points at one point there in Game 5 at home. And they went on the road uh, <clears throat> went on the road in Game 6 and finished off Utah. Um, Jalen Brunson averaged 27.8 points per game there for the Mavericks. He is making himself a lot of money for the Mavericks here in this offseason if they want to keep him. Donovan Mitchell averaged 25.5 for the Jazz in that series. But nonetheless, Dallas moves on. So... Moving back over to the Eastern Conference, the second round matchups, uh, as we know uh, right now, uh, both in the Eastern Conference, this, the series that starts Monday, May 2nd, is number one Miami against number four Philadelphia. Um, Philadelphia certainly has the roster to beat Miami, but with the way that Miami played that first round, I, I feel like it was very much stress-free, whereas Philadelphia had quite a bit to deal with in Toronto there for the last two and a half games of that series. So, or three and a half, rather. So, um, I, I like Miami to win that series in six. Uh, I think Philadelphia just, um, I don't know that they're going to quite be able to match up with, with Miami the way that Jimmy Butler's been playing. Of course, Joel Embiid, obviously, the way he's been playing. Uh, Embiid averaged... 26 points, 11 rebounds per game. He's certainly going to need to keep that up against Miami. But uh, I like the Heat to win that series in six. 
And then the other series that starts uh, on Sunday, May 1st, number two, Boston against number three, Milwaukee. Um, this probably is the best second round series. And I want to pick Milwaukee. They're the defending champs. They have probably the best player in the world in Giannis. But Boston, the way that they play defense, uh, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart. Marcus Smart's your defensive player of the year this year in the NBA. Um, I like Boston to win. Uh, I can see this series going seven games. So give me the Celtics to win in seven, and that might just be because they have home court advantage. So give me Boston to beat Milwaukee there. Over in the Western Conference, the top-seeded Phoenix Suns will play the number four-seeded Dallas Mavericks. Uh, Luke is healthy. He's balling out. Jalen Brunson's balling out. I don't know what Devin Booker's status is. I know he played. I don't know if he's completely healthy. Certainly hamstrings, the soft tissue injuries, are very much likely to reoccur. So um, I, Phoenix won all three games against Dallas in the regular season. I, you know, This was Dallas's first playoff win in 10 years since they won the NBA championship back in 2011. It's their first first playoff series victory since then I I the way that Dallas plays defense makes me think that they had the lead in all three of the regular season games the Mavericks did um against the Suns they they had the lead at halftime I believe in all three games so they're they're certainly capable of hanging with Phoenix um I just am not confident in Dallas's secondary scoring behind Doncic and Brunson the way that I am the Phoenix can come at you with Devin Booker, Chris Paul, DeAndre Ayton, Mikael Bridges. I think Phoenix is just a tad bit deeper. And, of course, Jay Crowder, former Dallas Maverick, is known to hit just clutch three after clutch three. So I am going to pick Phoenix to win in six games. But I will say this. I would not be horribly surprised to see the Mavericks move on. I mean, it's a 1v4 matchup. So a four-seed Beating a one seed isn't absurd. Um, it just doesn't happen as much in the NBA. I mean, there's a reason that Phoenix won 64 games this year. So as much as I would want the Mavericks to win, I just i am not confident in their secondary scoring. Um, but we'll have to see because if Brunson continues the way he has been playing, my goodness, uh, anything's possible because Luka can go for 30 and 12 every night. Golden State Warriors, they are waiting on their second-round matchup. They're the three-seed they're either going to play number two, Memphis, or number seven, Minnesota. And irregardless of who wins that series, I like Golden State to win that second-round matchup. I don't think Memphis is quite on Golden State's level right now. So give me the three-seed Golden State Warriors to move on in that series. I, I don't know who they play. If they play Minnesota, it might be a five-game series. If they play Memphis, might be six games. But um, I like the Warriors to move on in that series. So uh, that second round matchups, they start on Sunday. The other two series are on uh, Monday. Uh, so we'll have to stay tuned and see. Uh, we'll get you up to speed on how those series are turning out. Uh, by the time next week's episode is out, each of those series should be at least two or three games in. But we'll move on to our segment called Around the Island. And that's where we do some quick news topics from around the various sports uh, not a whole lot to get into, just a little bit to catch up on from the NFL, the draft, 
and some other news out of the NBA and PGA Tour. So we'll get started here in the National Football League. A couple of big draft day trades. I mentioned them in round one. One of them, Philadelphia Eagles acquired wide receiver A.J. Brown from Tennessee Titans in exchange for a first and a fourth round pick in this year's draft. And then Philadelphia turned around and gave Brown a four-year, $100 million extension, $25 million a year. It was reported Brown said that the uh, Titans' top offer had him coming in around $20 million with incentives per year. So uh, Brown wanted to get paid, and he did. Um, he goes from Ryan Tannehill to Jalen Hurts, so a little bit of a downgrade per se. Uh, but uh, as a Cowboys fan, I hate the fact that the Eagles got A.J. Brown. Certainly don't want to see that. I don't want to see him twice a year. He is very much a problem. And so uh, we'll have to see how that pans out. And then another wide receiver to get traded, the Baltimore Ravens. They ended up trading wide receiver Marquise Brown and a fourth-round pick to the Arizona Cardinals in exchange for their first-round pick this year. So that's how Baltimore ended up getting Tyler Linderbaum. They got the Arizona Cardinals pick. So Cardinals get Marquise Brown. Now, Marquise Brown is pretty much the same size and player that Rondell Moore is. Rondell Moore was, I think, their second-round pick two years ago. Uh, Short, fast, uh, speed guy. Uh, You know, he's going to fit nicely into that Cliff Kingsbury offense. But um, Arizona's deep at wide receiver, man. They got Hopkins, Green, Brown, and Moore now. So they lost Christian Kirk, so they replaced him with Marquise Brown. So we'll see on that. But um, the NFL did announce that they're going to be playing two afternoon games and one primetime game on Christmas Day this year because Christmas falls on a Sunday this year for the upcoming season. So the NFL announced that there's going to be three games on Christmas Day, two in the afternoon, which will be on CBS and Fox, and then the primetime game at night will be on NBC. This is the third straight year that the NFL is going to be playing on Christmas Day. So they're kind of kind of uh, infringing on uh, the NBA's Christmas Day special, but uh, most people would rather watch the NFL than the NBA. At least that's how viewing viewership has turned out the last uh, season and a half for the NFL. A couple of free agent pieces of news. Running back Melvin Gordon, he ended up re-signing uh, a one-year $5 million deal with the Denver Broncos. Uh, There was talk that he was kind of looking elsewhere, but in the end, he does stay in Denver, so him and Javante Williams will be a thing again this year. Uh, I do believe that the Broncos will move on from Gordon after this year, but they do get him for this year. And then uh, offensive tackle Cam Robinson, the uh, uh, Jacksonville Jaguars offensive tackle, he agreed on a three-year, $54 million extension with Jacksonville. Uh, Robinson was actually franchise tagged by the Jaguars uh, a month ago, uh, so he was set to play under the tag, but they were able to work out this long-term deal to keep Robinson in Jacksonville to protect Trevor Lawrence. Uh, And then some fifth-year options for quarterbacks have been, uh, some news has gone on there. The Arizona Cardinals, they did pick up the fifth-year option on quarterback Kyler Murray. There's been a lot of talk this offseason about him getting traded, him not being happy, him deleting all of Cardinals' pictures and stuff from his Twitter. Um, But Kyler Murray is contractually tied to the Cardinals through the 2023 season. So he at least has two more years under contract with Arizona. I would expect a long-term deal to get worked out there. Uh, They did take him number one overall for a reason. 
So uh, I do believe that they'll probably get something worked out there. And then the New York Giants, they have declined the fifth-year option on their quarterback, Daniel Jones. Uh, This makes Daniel Jones a free agent after this upcoming season. Uh, So this is Daniel Jones' last chance to prove that he's the guy. Um, He's been kind of highly mediocre, Uh, as he showed promises of being a really good quarterback, and then he's looked like absolute trash. He has a huge turnover problem. Uh, But the Giants, of course, drafted Evan Neal on the offensive line to go with Andrew Thomas, the first-round pick from a year ago or a year or two ago. So they have some protection in place for Jones this year. They still have all those weapons on the outside, Saquon Barkley in the backfield. uh, And then, of course, they drafted Kayvon Thibodeau, with the fifth overall pick uh, in the first round this year to uh, provide some extra boost on the defensive side to try and force some sacks and some pressures and some turnovers so uh, to get Jones the ball back. So uh, this is the uh, prove-it year for Daniel Jones. Uh, over in the NBA, the Charlotte Hornets, they fired head coach James Borrego. Now, Borrego had been the head coach of the Hornets for the last four seasons. And in the last four seasons, he's gone 138 and 163. All right, so certainly under 500. But what makes this surprise? you look at that and it's not surprising. But what makes this actually a surprising firing is that the Charlotte Hornets just lost in the play-in tournament of the playoffs a couple of weeks ago. All right, and since the 2019-2020 season, Charlotte has had a 10-win improvement in each of the past three seasons. They went from 23 wins a couple years ago to 33 wins last year to 43 wins this past year. And they have an an influx, really, of young talent. They got LaMelo Ball and Miles Bridges, two good building blocks there for the Hornets. They're moving in the right direction with the right pieces in place. Uh, I think Borrego is the right coach. I mean, you can't look at the last few years and not say that he's gotten better each year. Uh, They had a chance to get into the playoffs this year by being in the play-in tournament. So they're headed in the right direction, which is all you can ask, really, of your coach, Uh, especially if you're given multiple years. You want to see improvement, which is what he's given them. So to me, this firing just doesn't really make sense. But um, I'm interested to see who the Hornets decide decide to go with that they think might be a better option. Uh, Over on the PGA Tour, uh, Phil Mickelson's back in the news. He's been on this long hiatus for personal reasons uh, about voicing his opinion uh, of participating in this alleged um, Saudi Arabian uh, pro league that's supposedly going to take all the high-profile PGA players that didn't really work out. Um, You know, Mickelson is has got quite a bit of of flack for what he said. So he's he hasn't participated in a while, but he's back in the news because he is officially registered to play in next month's PGA Championship, uh, which he is def- the defending champion of, and June's U.S. Open. So, like I said, Mickelson actually won the PGA Championship last year at Kiowa Island, and so he'll be participating this year at the PGA Championship as well as the U.S. Open. So... Uh, It should be uh, interesting to see Phil out there. I certainly don't think that he, um, you know, is going to contend. He hasn't played competitive golf in a long time. So, but we'll see. It's just interesting. I think Tiger Woods is probably going to make his commitment to the PGA Championship. Tiger was seen at Southern Hills Country Club in Tulsa this past week scouting the course out. 
he's already committed to the U.S. Open and the Open Championship, Tiger Woods. So uh, the PGA is the only one that he's missing. So I would expect to see Tiger's name drop for the PGA Championship as well. And then we'll wrap it up here in the NCAA. Um, NCAA president, Mark Emmert, he's going to be stepping down as the president of the NCAA. And this is going to, uh, going to take effect either when his replacement is named or on June 30th of 2023, whichever is sooner. Uh, this comes as a mutual agreement between Mark Emmert and the NCAA. He was originally under contract through 2025. So there's obviously some stuff going on there between Mark Emmert and the NCAA, but Emmert will no longer be the president of the NCAA uh, moving on uh, as we get closer here in the next year or so. But that's going to wrap up the 73rd episode of the Sports Island podcast. It was another busy one uh, this weekend. Uh, the Mexico Open's going on on the PGA Tour. We got uh, the NHL's regular season concluding. NBA playoffs are uh, wrapping up the first round, moving into the second round by the time the weekend ends. So you'll have that to watch. And then, of course, the NFL draft. Uh, rounds two and three are on Friday, and rounds four through seven are on Saturday. So plenty of stuff to watch this week. And uh, I know I'll be tuned in to kind of everything, uh, mainly the NFL draft, but uh, we'll get some golf in there, maybe some uh, some NBA basketball. We'll see. But nonetheless, we'll get you caught up to speed on everything else uh, on next week's episode. Thanks for listening to the Sports Island Podcast. Be sure and find it on Facebook at Sports Island Podcast. I'm Rick Mitchell, and I'll catch you next time right here on the Sports Island Podcast, which is available everywhere you listen to podcasts.